Hello friends, welcome back. In this series so far, we have covered the foundational aspects of Catholic parenting. We have also covered the ABCs of connecting with our children. At this juncture, and before we begin our mini-series on sexuality education, I would like to share with you an interview we had with Dr. Jennifer King, a senior consultant pediatrician at the Child Development Unit of the National University Hospital. During this interview, we discussed how we can help our children flourish. It, it was, we thought, a fitting way to round up, in a sense, what we have discussed so far in our earlier episodes. In view of the time constraints, we could not, of course, go into all the details. Instead, we covered the topic in more general terms, but enough, we hope, to get us turbocharged on our journey in Catholic parenting. More interviews have been lined up with various experts following up on this, our first for this channel. We trust you will find this episode useful as we continue on this exciting journey of Catholic parenting as priest, prophet, and king. So relax, sit back, and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a YouTube and podcast channel where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be a sincere gift for ourselves to our kids, in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this podcast. Today, we are very happy to have with us Dr. Jennifer King. Jennifer is a Senior Consultant Pediatrician at the Child Development Unit of the National University Hospital. She has been caring for children with developmental, behavioral, and emotional conditions for the past 18 years. So lots of experience to share with us, yeah? And today, she'll be sharing with us on how we can help our children flourish. Now, having heard this, I'm sure there are many, many parents out there who are just looking forward to hearing from you, Jennifer. Welcome to this podcast. John, thank you for the very, very kind introduction. I'm looking forward to um, sharing tips that might be helpful. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we're really looking forward to listening to you too. Um, yeah, I, I heard that you, you visited your mom uh, in Australia recently. Uh, how was your trip and how's everyone doing? Oh, um, yeah, thank you for, for asking. Everyone is well. Uh, my mom is getting a little bit frail, oh. uh, but it was just such a gift to be able to see my parents again after having not seen them for two years. And, ah. you know, just the things you take for granted, like, you know, giving them a hug, oh. being with them, you know, enjoying a cup of coffee, even attending mass together. That was such a gift. Wonderful. Um, wonderful. So that was very nice. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sure you had a, such a wonderful time catching up. That's lovely. Yeah, I'm sure it was a really good time. Uh, it's unfortunate that COVID had really stopped us from uh, yes. doing so many things that yes. we really wanted to do. Yeah, But mm-hmm. I guess perhaps it sort of like helps us um, open our eyes a little bit more and uh, appreciate yes. the little blessings that we have. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's the everyday, isn't it? Opening your eyes to what is there for us every day that we can be thankful for. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jennifer, why don't we start off by sharing about your family? You know, how many years have you been married and... How many kids sure. are you and how old are they now? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I've been married for, um, I have to check, 16 years. Oh, um, wow. And I have three girls. And the eldest uh, was uh, born in the year I got married. And people wow. used to give me a lot of ribbing about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. she uh, was a great joy to all of us. She continues to be. And then following her, I have 
a set of twins. So I have three girls and the wow. eldest is 16 and the, right. and the twins are 12. And so I survived the O-levels this year and PSLE this year. Wow, that, yes. that is a challenge and that is quite an achievement yes, to survive I, both exams. Yes, so, so we, we all survived it and it was a nice break to go to Australia. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, minus all the swabs and all, yeah? Yes, minus all the swabs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, how, how was your early parenting journey like, Jennifer? You know, I'm, I'm sure there were lots of joys and pains. I remember mine had lots of joys and lots of pains too, but it was, like I told my wife, it's it always like a bed of roses. All the flowers and all the thorns <laughs> combined, yeah? Uh, so how was yours like? Yeah, um, mine was, um, I mean, very similar. I I thought that coming into sort of uh, parenting with a pediatric background, I would be kind of more skilled than most parents, but that doesn't prove to be the case. And in fact, a lot of the knowledge I had was really theory. And um, the practice of being a parent uh, really was a little bit different um, and uh, certainly transformed the way I work as a pediatrician. And I think it enriched my work as a pediatrician where uh, my perspective on parents before and after having a family of my own really changed, really shifted. Um, so, I mean, that enriched. So the whole sort of process of um, having children myself and living through all the advice that I would give parents, I would change all my advice after I had my own kids. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the club. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, you know, I think you just have to go through it yourself to really know what it's like for, for, you know, parents on the other side. Absolutely. And I think the greatest joy for me is uh, having, um, you know, healthy children. Uh, you know, mm. we really weren't too fussed about, you know, boy, girl, really happy with our three girls. Yes. Um, and just happy that they're healthy. Yes. Um, I know the toughest for me was the first one. Oh, because um, even though I had twins that came after, we were sort of experienced after the first one. Right. And the first one was sort of our trial and error. <laughs> so everything we did wrong with the first one, we tried not to do with the second one. Ah, uh, the yeah. second, you know, the second two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think for us, um, the greatest joys would be what a lot of parents experience, you know, like the, you know, bringing the baby home, um, watching their first steps, watching their first words, just being there spending time with them um, and, you know, experience all those things, the first birthdays, the second birthdays, and then all those milestones as they go along. Um, and the, the so much joy that they brought to the family um, and it's changing the whole family dynamic instead of just me and my husband, it became like the children, everything, the children, the children, the children. Yeah. Um, and then the, the challenges for us were, you know, similar to what I think most parents experience. When you come home with a little baby um, and you think they're really sweet because they're sleeping most of the time, and then, you know, a week later they wake up and they, they stay awake and they cry. And, especially at night, right? Yeah, especially at night and not sleeping through the night. And I remember, um, you know, on these sleepless nights where they just didn't sleep at all, thinking, you know, it's actually a lot easier going to work and even <laughs> being on a 48-hour call because... At the end of 48-hour call, you can come home and you can yeah. sleep for yeah. an eight-hour stretch. And that yeah. just didn't happen with a new baby. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I just don't ever remember being so tired. Even me with so much help. I had a lot of help from my in-laws. 
uh, and all their support. And, you know, I had nanny, uh, a live-in confinement nanny, um, and I had domestic helper to help us. And I was still exhausted. So, you know, my heart goes out to parents who do it on their own. It's really, really tough. It's, it's really tough. It's Mm. really tough. I have seen, um, patients who have uh, done that. I mean, I, I salute them. Because they really have done such a yes. great job, uh, something that yes. I myself wouldn't have been, been yes. able to do with without my wife. The help. You know? yeah, it's without just amazing the help. how some of them have coped. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I certainly couldn't have done it without my husband. I mean, especially when the twins uh, were here, we were like all hands on deck. I'd be carrying one, he'd be carrying one, and then my in-laws would be helping with the older one. And it was right. just really all hands on deck. Um, right, right. So, yeah, so I'm very grateful for all yeah, the help well, that I got. I wonder what the picture would it be like if you had four kids at one time. You're a contributor. Oh, I, <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess as they're growing up, the, you must have had, the, like many other parents, would have had lots of concerns, right, as yes. they grew up. Yeah. And, well, yeah. what were your greatest concerns for your children's development as they grew up and, and how did you address them? Yeah, um, I think for us, our greatest concern was um, the social-emotional development. Um, because I look after children with developmental, behavioral, and emotional needs, um, mm. we come very quickly to realize that actually what's really important, important in those first few years of life is mm. children's social-emotional development, yeah. which is their bonding and attachment with us as parents Mm. And the ability to make relationship with other people mm. um, above and beyond all the academic things, those come so much later. So yeah. that early bit, you know, the early bit of um, feeling secure in the bonding attachment, in the family life, having routines for them, um, and then learning limits, teaching them how to learn limits of what's acceptable and what's not, not acceptable. Mm. Um, I mean, those were the things that concerned us the most uh, in those first few years. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think you're so right to say that actually the uh, academic achievement is really secondary because yes. it is when you can get all the uh, yeah, psychological and emotional aspects yes. settled and the bonding yes. with the parents settled that you can actually really have a smoother time with the academic yes. uh, journey. Yes. Isn't that it? just follows, that follows. It just follows, yeah, yeah mm. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, and um, you know, what, um, in a sense, uh, what's, do you think for children in the early years, yeah, from first, from the time they're born to five years mm, old, um, yeah. what do you think uh, is really important for their development and flourishing in those early years? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking, um, John, because um, there's already a lot of uh, evidence uh, and study behind this. And there's a nice book. I don't think it's very readable, but it's um, uh, called The Science of uh, Early Childhood Development, and it's called From Neurons to Neighborhood. And this book summarizes all the research uh, regarding the early years, and they have some key findings from all this research that has been compiled from over the years. And the key findings is this. Um, I'll share two of the key findings that I, I think is very relevant for our families, and it is that all children are born wired for feelings and ready to learn. That was one of their key findings, right. meaning that the feelings part actually really needs to be addressed before the learning can occur. Mm. And we can't just learn in a void without addressing feelings. Right. Um, that's one of the key findings. The second finding that was really key is that early environments 
are critical and nurturing relationships are very important. Mm. So the child's early environment in that first, you know, three to five years of life is critical for what happens in the years that follow. And that early environment is what the child sees, hears, uh, how they, what they explore, how, how they move around, what they taste, what they touch. That's the early environment. So if we really want to give our children that head start in life, we really want to give them an optimal early environment within the context of a nurturing relationship. Right. So, so the research um, states very clearly that um, you don't need a million good nurturing relationships. You actually only need at least one. Mm. nurturing relationship with a consistent caregiver right. to actually build that resilience in the child, for that child to learn um, a trust relationship and learn that attachment of that mm. to and fro, of that giving and that taking of love, love and affection. Right. And only one is needed. It doesn't even necessarily need to be the parent because we know there are many families where parents are not emotionally available to provide that. It can be a grandparent. It can be an aunt. It can be an uncle. Right. Um, right. That, that can help, you know, in, in families where, um, you know, the nuclear family may be absent. Right, right. So it would, um, I guess to summarize that one, it would seem that number one, the emotional bank account of the child would, yes. uh, should be filled well and yes. filled rightly. And, yes. and also these, uh, there's always the need for a good relationship with someone who yes. can actually then be that uh, pers- person the child can connect with yes. and journey with. Yes. yes, that's correct. So, you know, that love and um, uh, the, uh, that attuned relationship, in other words, it, it's called responsive parenting. In other words, the child has a need and the parent or caregiver responds to that need. And right. it is in that attuned and responsive parenting that the child learns this uh, trust attachment, right. which, which they need for the rest of their life to form mm. um, relationships. Right. Um, and then Along that same line, part of that responsive parenting is also setting limits. It's not just completely spoiling your child. It's actually teaching them from a young age, this is acceptable and this is not acceptable. Um, and I, I think for that, um, the, uh, the pediatric input on my side helped because I knew the theory. So I knew how to put it into practice. And that is no is no, uh, but to um, teach our children in a non-hurtful way. So um, with my three children, um, our family um, sort of uh, our family process, our family practice has been non-hurtful discipline. In other words, nobody gets hit um, in the family. And and the evidence is also behind that, that there's no physical punishment, but you can teach children consequences through non-hurtful discipline. And that may be as they get older, um, you know, it might be quiet time and time out. So they mm. learn the consequence of, uh, you know, what we call not naughty behaviors, but mm. undesirable behaviors. Right, right. So how would you give them a timeout, you know, putting them in, in a quiet yeah. corner? Yes, or... yes. So um, quiet time and timeout um, are basically strategies that you use when they really misbehave. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the point where you think, oh, they need a spank. <laughs> uh, you, you shouldn't be putting them in quiet time and timeout all the time. Like, you know, 20 times a day, it'll stop working. You should only use it when they've, you know, hurt someone or they've thrown something or done something really dangerous. Right. And then you'd say, you know, you've done this behavior and, 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 you know, you can't do this. And I need you now to go to your quiet time. And usually it's one minute per year of age. 
Mm. So if they're only, you know, three years old, they should, they should only be there for three or four minutes. They shouldn't be there for hours and hours. Right. Um, and then if they come out of quiet time when they shouldn't be, or they don't follow the rules of quiet time, then they go to timeout, which is usually in a room by themselves and, you know, uh, behind a door or behind a barrier where they have to stay there until they learn the rules before they can come out. And usually they have to come out when they're calm. They shouldn't come out when they're upset. Um, and they're very good providers for this. And one of the very good provider is the people who provide triple P. Uh, it's called the Positive Parenting Program. And there mm-hmm. are many agencies in Singapore that provide triple P. Right. Uh, Morningstar is one of them, I, I think, that provides triple P, positive parenting. Yes, I believe so, yeah. Uh, and and um, other parenting uh, uh, centers uh, can also provide this. And they have very, very good structured programs for families. To yes, yes. I heard they were very successful with that. Yes, they are. Yes. Because yeah. it's just giving parents some handles. A lot of parents know uh, the framework, but they may not know the details about how to implement. So it's just sort of a bit of tweaking here and there. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. I think, yeah, basically parents do want the best for their children. They it's do. just that yes. the, the, the temptation to lift the hand and uh, yes. <laughs> so yes. something is always yes. there. So I think it's so important yes. that we learn this um, other method of uh, reading. Yes, yes. And, and also we parent the way we were parented. Yes. That's how we parent. And yes. many parents uh, that that we look after were parented with discipline, with physical discipline. And that's yes. the only way they know. Yes. There was a time when it was acceptable and that was just what was done. Yes. Um, but the, the evidence is out that children who get physical punishment as a form of discipline are more likely to be anxious or depressed when they mm-hmm. get older. Yeah. So we really want to give children, as you say, and as I say, and as the research says, a social emotional bank. Mm-hmm. We want a bank mm-hmm. of positivity for them to draw from. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, that's so important. And I'm really glad you brought this up because I think uh, in today's world, uh, parenting is so challenging. Yes. I mean, I've seen my own children parenting their own children as well. Yes. You know, uh, and being full time um uh, yes. you know, in, in the workforce as well. It's uh, it's just not yes. easy at all. Yes, and, very, you know, I very think tough. The points that you brought up are so important for all of us to really, um, you know, to digest and to really implement in our own families for yes. the sake of our own children and grandchildren. Yeah? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So as, as they grow older, the challenges dif- will differ. And uh, so, for example, if they have to go into primary school and elementary yeah. school, right? What, what do you think are important for their development during yeah. that age of their life? Well, I can say, speak from my own experience is that um, my children enjoyed school until about primary three, uh, because in the first couple, uh, the first sort of three years, there was still more play uh, mm-hmm. and less of the academic yeah. work and the workload. In primary three, it tends to jump quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so what helped us with giving them a balance was mm-hmm. um, uh, ensuring early bedtimes. I think um, um, I, I think our household was one of the very few household. I mean, among my ch- children's friends, where we would have them in bed latest by eight thirty to nine o'clock, right up to PSLE. In right. PSLE, High five. <laughs> yeah, in PSLE we had to extend a little bit because the workload workload got so heavy that they're in bed at about nine thirty. But we had to be really strict about it. Yes. So giving them adequate sleep means that they're less tired in the day. Um, they they feel much better if they're less tired, less cranky, less agitated, less irritable, are better able to focus. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was ensuring that they had regular physical activity. 
mm. uh, getting them into sports. Right. And in fact, um, whenever parents come and see me in preschool and they say, how do we best prepare our children for school? I say to them, okay, if you want to prepare your child for school, then go have a look at what your the school's CCA is in, in, in primary three when they get selected for school team and start practicing now in K2 so that by the time they come to P3, they will be selected for school team. <laughs> and, and the reason that is the case is because unless you are in school team for a sport, right. you, you will never play a sport in, uh. in, in primary four, primary five, primary six. Once you get to P6 and you're not playing any sports, and you're not part of a school team, you just won't get any exercise. Right. Uh, and, right. and that's what we found, that unless uh, you are in a school team, you won't get any exercise. If you don't get exercise in primary six, then it's just work, and you mm. have no balance, mm. you have no mm. outlet. So I, I, we found that exercise is very, very helpful for the children. So only one of my kids was in school team, and she was in tennis, the eldest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And the younger two, we just made sure they went for walks every day. So during right. the pandemic, we would go for a half-hour walk um, in the evenings before dinner, just walk around the neighborhood. Oh, that's and nice. that would be a good time to de-stress and bond. And then, Wonderful. And then the third thing I think is critical is actually controlling screen time. Ah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and as early as possible, because screen time in the first years of life has effects on the child's development, uh, speech, mm. social engagement, attention issues, uh, and mm. we're, we're seeing in, in our clinics mm. uh, an increase during the pandemic of kids with um, developmental issues because of excessive screen time as parents mm. need to work from yes. home. Yes, I, I see that in, in my family yes. practice too, actually, yes. and it is a big concern. It is a big concern. Yeah. It's a big concern, and as much as we can, we try and manage it, and hopefully uh, as the restrictions are lifted, there'll be less of excessive screen time in the young age. And then in mm-hmm. school age, um, our practice uh, was basically they could have screen time on school days. I made them all watch Mandarin movies because their mother tongue was terrible. So I made all the children watch. They could have half an hour of a Mandarin program. Wow. And that was their screen time. And even <laughs> then, it was a struggle. Um, and then on weekends, they could have uh, their movie. And that's how we regulated it. Um, the older one who was in secondary, um, we had a rule where she had to leave her phone down uh, um, outside her bedroom. Right. Uh, after, I think it was after about dinner time, after seven o'clock, the phone could not be in her room anymore. Mm. She could use it, but after seven, she couldn't have it. She had to do her work and then go to bed because we mm. just found that if you have the device in the bedroom, you're not mm. going to be able to get to sleep. You're, you're still be on it. And then the two younger ones in primary school had no phone. Mm. Just didn't give them a phone. That's good. Now, now they're going to secondary. We have to get them a phone. So, looking yeah. at you know managing that also because yeah. you can't have no phone when you're in secondary. But that's right. You know, just having to see how to work around that. Yeah, they'll they'll need to be in various chat yes. nowadays yeah. and, they and everything. They so need the chat rooms. They'll, they'll feel very left out if they are not. But indeed, like yeah. you said, it's really a question of how to handle technology yeah. and, and yeah. not shy away from it. Yes, and in teaching them how to use it, like um, okay, these are the times you can use it. Uh, when you when you use it, you gotta have screen free times, and you, mm-hmm. we have screen free zones, like mm-hmm. no phone, no devices uh, at mm-hmm. the dining table, right. no devices when we're going out right. for our walk. So just having right. some routines in place from when they're young, so Wonderful. we don't introduce them when we've given them too much access, and then it gets yes. really difficult. Yeah, that, that's so important, right? Yeah. Now, 
going back a little bit back to where you were discussing yeah. about sleep time, I'm yes. just thinking about the questions that are going on in the parents' minds yes. while listening into you right now. Um, you say that there's a need for an adequate amount of sleep. So how many yeah. hours of sleep would you define as adequate for a yeah. child in primary school, let's see? Yeah, okay. Um, so um, depending on the age, uh, but when they hit primary one uh, at about seven years of age, they need anywhere from about nine to 10 hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. So if they have to wake up at six, they really should be in bed by um, eight. And I know not many parents have kids in bed by eight. So then I say, well, eight to nine. And even then it's a stretch. But a 10 o'clock bedtime for a six o'clock wake up is really very, very late. Uh, and I know that some kids have naps when they come back from school. They're so tired they have a nap. But I, I do find that at school age, the afternoon nap actually interferes with their ability to then complete work early mm-hmm. and then go to bed early. So that's just, just mm-hmm. like a vicious cycle again. Yeah. So normally I, I, I tell, I, what I share with each family is you have to do what works best for your family. Some families mm-hmm. all come home really late. Yes. Um, yes. And then the child comes home from childcare or um, student care and, you know, work may or may not have been done. And then there's a scramble. So, mm. so we have to work around what the needs of the families also because it's a scramble. We do know that children in Singapore get significantly less sleep than yeah. children, uh, than Australian counterparts and counterparts in the UK and US from sleep mm-hmm. studies that have been done right. by right. my colleagues at NUH um, right. and with other centers around the world. So we do know that Asian kids get much less sleep mm. than Western children, but there, there is an effect. We can't. Um, you know, we can't override our body's biological need for sleep and expect yeah. that there will be no, no cost to it. Yes. And the cost to not enough sleep is higher stress levels, uh, shorter attention spans, increased mm-hmm. irritability, mm-hmm. Uh, inability to focus, poorer memory. So really, if we want our children to do the best that they can, we really need to get them into bed early. And also device-free times before bed, because we know that the use of device and the blue light can affect the quality of the sleep and sleep onset. Yes, yes. Nowadays, I find that it not only affects the children, it affects the adults as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, it does. (laughs) So after they come back from work, they try to de-stress themselves, but in so doing, they find themselves unable to sleep. So that's another issue. And and now I'm finding it among uh, our geriatric population too. Uh, during the pandemic, when they can't yes. go out, they spend most of their time at home yes. on their yes. devices. On the devices. <laughs> and, and then that doesn't help their mood. Oh, no. And, mm. and it will actually lower their mood. So you actually do need to have device free times. You put it away, you go for a walk. I mean, I'm a big culprit because, uh, you know, I'm going through a stage now where my sleep-wake cycle is all over the place. And, you know, if I wake up in the middle of the morning and I check my phone, yeah. then I have a very hard time going back to bed. Yes. Mm. Yes, I, I would agree. So at least this is something I can now share with my daughters uh, yes. who used to complain that, uh, you know, they didn't get to see much of the nighttime because as soon as the sun set, they were getting ready for bed. Yes. And they wondered why they would have, yes. they had to do that when the contemporaries didn't have to. So now I've got something yes. to share with them. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank and you that, very much. And that really helped them to be who <laughs> they was- are today. <laughs> Yeah, not, well, I, I can see that they're trying to do that with their own children too. So that, that, that's good. So this is something that uh, we yeah. can really share with them. Yeah. So, so I think, I mean, if there's a key about parenting, it's a little bit every day and it's the consistency. It's Absolutely. doing the same thing every day. 
and a little bit every day so that it doesn't get overwhelming that you're trying to put all these things into measure you and right. you know nobody's used to doing it yeah. yes yes absolutely i just can't disagree with you on, on yeah. that yeah? yeah so it's very important to be consistent in whatever yes. we do right and not yes. just based on the feelings of the day right yes yeah and inconsistent um particularly between parents um between mom and between that so the consistency between my husband and i yes yes um i'm more lax and my husband is the disciplinarian um and so when we have different approaches um we will support each other yes. and if we disagree we will discuss it after the fact yes away from the children yes um so they don't see that we are in disagreement because you know children are very sharp to immediately like you know segue into the fact that ooh my parents disagree and then get and then try and try and take advantage of that disagreement so yeah. if they're very good are, at that yes they're very good at that you don't have to teach them they yes <laughs> yes know, yes they know what to do yeah we found that out very early on so yes uh, we did stay, uh, we did the same thing so my wife and i also made yes. sure that we were, we were in agreement even though yes. we didn't quite agree with certain things the other one did and then later on in the quiet of our bedroom oh. we actually discussed uh, what we felt wasn't yes. quite right and uh, uh tried to figure out what to do moving forward Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that, that, that's so important, isn't it? Parental consistency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as, as they go on now to secondary school, right? As they mm. go on to secondary school, uh, what do you think um, are important then for their development? Of course, sleep, I'm sure, still yes. be important. Yes. The management of screen time will still be important, although yes. probably more challenging at the time. Yes. Yeah. I, I think secondary is a different set of challenges. It's more about their autonomy. Yes. Um, it's, it's really hard to tell a secondary school and, you know, my 16 year old what to do and what not to do. Mm. What he hoped is by 16 years of age, um, she would have imbibed some of the values we've been trying to share with her. Yes. And giving her the choices. Um, if you do this and there are certain consequences for this and that, and you have to sort of figure some of these out and, um, giving her room to make mistakes and not coming down too hard on those mistakes. Absolutely. Um, we learned it the hard way. Um, when she was quite young, in fact, when she was in primary, my husband was uh, coming down quite hard on mistakes that which she would make that, you know, primary school children would make because he had expectations about her behavior and he would come down so hard. And my older one's a little bit active. So he, she couldn't, you know, she was very fidgety and, and would forget things and then misplace things. And he would get really upset and um, would come down really hard. And I never used to intervene until I saw her develop tics mm. from getting so anxious about my mm. husband being mm. hard with her. She developed some a vocal tic, like, you know, voice clearing. Mm. And one day after one of these episodes where he sort of came down really hard on her and she was like ticking away, sort of pulled him aside. And I said to him, honey, I think you either need to attend an exorcism or I need to get you to see a counselor, you can choose. Um, because I think if you continue along this path, my our daughter is going to end up at INH uh, with um, severe anxiety issues. So he chose the latter path and uh, he booked himself in to see a really lovely psychologist by the name of Harold Robers um, and uh, really was a godsend because... Um, Harold shared with him, with my husband, um, a framework of looking at children 
which we continue to use to this day. Mm. And it's so valuable that I want to share with you. Sure. John, sure. Um, and this is the framework. He said, do you want growth or do you have expectations? Because these, the, these are two really contrarian things. And if you have expectations on your child, it's pass or fail. They mm. can't do both. They either mm. pass and meet your expectations or they fail and they don't meet your expectations. But with a growth mindset for your child, everything is about growth. Mm. So if they made a mistake, they can learn from it. And that's about growth. Mm. Um, and if they did well, well, good. They will grow and they'll learn from it. So that meant that when my husband and I would look at our older child make mistakes, we'd say, well, she'll learn from the mistake. We don't have to come down so hard because it's all part of her growth. We don't expect that she'll learn it now, but eventually she'll learn it. And that transformed uh, my husband's relationship with my older daughter. Wonderful. Yeah. My husband used to take her to tennis um, and and teach her, like, play tennis with her. And she used to hate it because um, he would have expectations and would try and coach her. Then she would pull a long face and then sulk and then he'd get really upset. But after that shifted and he'd say, okay, well, I'm just going to, this is all part of her growth and learning and learning how to regulate her emotions as she's playing tennis, it transformed. So then she would then see that, okay, he's not so upset now and I'm going to try harder. And and so it took a few years, but now they really look forward to their regular tennis matches and and it's fun now with her. She plays with a a grandfather, she plays with a sibling, she plays my husband. Um, but that transformed things for her um, to go from an expectations mindset to a growth mindset. So in a growth mindset, your child can never fail mm. because it's mm. all about mm. their growth. And, mm. and so I think that's, that's the thing for the teens also, particularly for teenage years, it's all about their growth. Yes. And they will experiment. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I, I remember the other night, um, my daughter sort of asking me, um, if she could have um, a second, she, she has, she has earrings on. She said, I'd like to have another earring, like, you know, another stud. And my initial response was, no, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then she went, oh, you never let me make my own decisions. And then I thought, okay, fine, then just go for it. And, uh, and that was really wasn't the right response. So later on we said, okay, well, you know what? You can have it. But just think of the consequences of, you know, in school, you might not be able to wear two earring studs. Yes. You might have to, you know, pop something over one and then you have to decide then how you want to do it. And you know what? If you want to do it, just go for it. Yeah. Because you don't, I don't want to say no, 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 no to everything. But then when it comes to an important thing, then they don't ask me anymore. We want to say no to some things, yes to some things and say, think about it to some things. And how about you decide? And so when it comes to important decisions, we will still be in that loop. You don't, you want to keep that channel of communication open at all times. Absolutely. So, sounds like uh, uh, some kids asking their parents about having tattoos as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Can I have a tattoo? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, having that conversation about, well, think about it. Where do you want that tattoo? Might you want that tattoo in a discreet place so that, you know, when you're 80 years old, that tattoo may not look as good as it does now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Actually, I remember my um, wife and I were um, discussing the past, you know, as our kids were growing up, 
the thing they are we've got to let them learn from the mistakes but yes. um we yes. are just sharing that hey you know but there are some mistakes which we know are fatal which uh, yes. we we'll probably have to make sure that they don't make those yes. Yes. you know such as uh, maybe perhaps uh, yes. uh things like uh you know drugs and uh, yes. you know, alcohol yes. binging and uh, yes. premarital sex and so on yes. so we, yes. we said okay th- those will be the things that we'll agree that uh, is an absolute no no right yes. so the rest yes. if they make mistakes they learn from those mistakes they grow from it that, that that's yeah. fine <laughs> and and those absolute no nos um what we do is um I, I think whether we know it or not, we embed it from the time they're born. Yeah. From the way we talk about those uh things, from the way we talk about, you know, drugs, um, premarital relationships, um, the movies that we watch, it's it's all embedded. So uh you can be explicit, uh, and there will be moments where there'll be opportunity for for you for us to need to be explicit. I think a lot of it is embedded from when they're very young. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, right. I think from all the conversations and the values that the family espouses huh, through yes. the years that the, yes. the child just imbibes over time, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, actually, actually um, like I've said, you know, I'm, I've seen how my children are parenting their own children today and I can yeah. see that it is so challenging, you know, for parents. Yes. Um, and there's so many challenges there, right? Um, yes. What do you think perhaps are the three biggest challenges that are facing parents today? Um, I think uh, one is uh, screen time. I think the u- device use, the children's use of device takes so much time away mm-hmm. from other activities that are de- healthy for building relationships that are developmentally appropriate. So if the child's four hours in, in, in front of a screen, then all their values and learning is going to be from the screen, whatever it is they're watching, versus time spent doing play, doing construction, doing pretend play. If they're fortunate enough to have a sibling in the house they can play with. Um, and even just conversation with parents or, or, or being with parents, watching what they do. Um, so I think screen time is one um, that really takes a lot of time uh, uh, of our children away from us, unless we're actually watching it with them and, and, and making comments like, oh, isn't that funny? Or we wouldn't do that. Or that's a bit ridiculous. Nobody nobody rolls up. Like So you actually use it as a, a way to bond and connect with your children. Yeah. And the other one is just lack of time. No time to spend with your children. Um, and the way we um, we our family has managed that is to uh, nominate a family day where nobody is allowed to schedule anything. No homework is to be done. And for us, that's Sunday. And on Sunday, no homework, no tuition, family time. Um, and uh, everyone gets to choose what they want to do, but it's got to be family activity. So that's how we try and schedule time. I know it's busy in the daytime. And also meal times. We have our meal times together so we can share a little bit over meal times. So other than that, it's sort of mad running here, running there dropping off to tuition, picking them up. Um, that's what it's been. A bit less with COVID, it was all on Zoom, but um, I don't know how much better that was. Um, and then the, the, the third thing I think um, is, I think the most important thing is the um, tendency to negative self-talk in children mm. because of our expectation system in school where if they don't do well, then the, uh, the school system, their peers, all the programming says you're not good mm. or you're not good enough. Yeah. Um, and then to counter that in our daily conversations with them, uh, with yet, I'm not good at math yet. And, and that yet statement is the work of mm. um, 
uh, a researcher by the name of Carol Dweck mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. who looked at uh, praising um, effort versus praising uh, personal traits. And she did very interesting studies in groups of children where they, they you know, took one, one class of children and they said, gave them some, you know, math sums. And they said to this group who had all done well, um, oh, you've all, you've done well. Uh, you are all very smart. And then they said to this next group who have also done equally well, they said, you've done well. Uh, uh, you know, uh, good job. You've done well. It's because you all tried very hard. So then they gave harder math questions to the first group. And they said, would you like to try these harder math questions? And the first group declined. But the second group all wanted to try the harder math questions because the second group knew that they would not jeopardize their smartness and smartness Mm. wasn't valued, but effort was valued. Yes. Whereas the first group didn't want to jeopardize smartness. So if you keep telling someone they're smart, they're scared to jeopardize that. And they may not want to try something harder or try something they may fail in. Mm. So so the this negative talk, particularly for kids who are struggling in school, to say, hey, um, I know you're working hard and I know a math is difficult for you uh now. It is uh I, I'm you're no good at math, or if they say I'm not I'm not good at math, I'm not good at this, then you say yet. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the growth mindset mm-hmm. that, yeah, we're not good at this, but we'll get better and hear the steps to, to get better. And I just find a lot of the children um, that I see in my clinic, they have a negative self-talk. Um, mm-hmm. Plus the parents, the parents may, may say, well, they're not doing, they're not good at this. They're not good at that. So we have to be very careful about the, oh, that's, that's my smart child or mm. that's my social child or that's why because we start labeling them all and then yeah. they think they are what they are labeled yes yes it's so important to really focus yes. on their efforts yeah. isn't it rather yes, than just on their yeah. uh, so-called uh, good characteristics uh, yeah yes. the inequalities yes yeah. so so in the in in my psle i have twins who are doing psle and we're really worried that um, they're trying to get back to their their school Yes, and we were really worried that they would be split. That one would one would do mm-hmm. better and mm-hmm. stay in the school, and the mm-hmm. other wouldn't mm-hmm. do as well, and yeah. and and go to another school. And and one of my twins has a learning disability, right? And we were really worried for the one the learning disability right. because you know you just don't know on the day of the exam. And she was worried. Yes. she kept asking me, "Mummy, Daddy, what if I don't get back to school? What if I don't do well?" And we had to keep saying, "You know what? It doesn't matter." You've tried your best. We see how hard you've worked. And um, if you can't get back into the school, yes, I know you'll be sad. You know that God will always look after you. He'll have a school for you. Every school in Singapore is a good school. It's just that you may not have all your friends there. You'll make new friends. And I know you can. And I know you have the ability. And don't worry about it. There will always be a path for you. So we had to keep telling her that. Um, encounter that negative oh no what if i can't what if i can't what if i can't mm. so unfortunately both of them got back into their school so we are very oh very wow thank god fortunately thank god yeah um and uh um but you know it's just that giving them it's part of that resilience thing you know telling them it's okay don't worry it's not the end of the world okay yes. it's not the end of the world it's just a test mm, <laughs> okay yeah yeah 
Yeah, this is so important, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. with all the pressures that are attendant in today's uh, academic environment, it's yeah. so easy to yeah. just uh, place expectations yes. on our children yeah. and quite often unrealistic yeah. expectations, isn't it? Yeah, it really was so tough. Cause them, yeah, really cause them to just um, yeah. give up sometimes. I, I know when they when they came out of their preliminaries, they didn't do well. Mm. And they came on there when we did very badly. And I said, don't worry about it. We know you worked hard. It's a pandemic year and everything was on Zoom. Don't worry about it. We're very proud of you. Yeah. And um, I then heard that that's exactly what they repeated to their, their friends to sort of cheer up their friends who hadn't done well. Wow. Don't worry about it. It's a pandemic year. We've done well. Don't worry. So, so oh, that's so you know, nice. They, they, do, they do take in what we say and um, they will, they will uh, internalize that. We just yes. keep, have to keep saying it. Mm. Yes, like they always say, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, and then monkey teach. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Well, I, I know you and your husband actually have uh, placed a lot of importance of, uh, on faith yeah. in family life, right? Um, yeah. You know, do you have any uh, studies to share with us that show that children from families which um, practice yeah. the faith actively have better long-term outcomes? Yeah, I, I think they, I, you know, I don't have the specific study names, uh, but there are studies that show that children who have religious beliefs and religious practices um, have better at higher levels as they grow into adulthood, higher levels of happiness, well-being, life satisfaction, uh, and that they're better able to navigate adversities in life. Um, and, you know, things like um, mental health, marital um, happiness, uh, reduction in anxiety, depression, suicidality, um, has been shown in people who have faith-based practices, you know, whatever, whatever the faith. And I think, uh, I think a big part of it is how you frame a negative experience. Mm. Because if you have a faith-based practice, and then for us, it's our Catholic faith, yes. um, that if the bad things happen, it's not always a bad thing. And if the thing you wanted to happen didn't happen, then it may be for a better reason that you can't, see or know because we can only see today we can't see five years um down the line and and what and what we do is we share we share our own experiences uh i know that when i was doing pediatric training i was trying to get into a training program in melbourne and i didn't get the position in melbourne Mm -hmm. and i was really sad because that meant i had to go into state Mm. And as it turned out, I went to South Australia to do training in pediatrics and it was the best two years of my life. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I made a lot of friends. I cleared my exams. I later came back to Melbourne. Um, And uh, so we we share from our own experiences that when God closes one door, he will really open another door for you to walk through or a window or whatever it is. And, And it's born through our own experience. So we can really just share these experiences with our children and, and to help build their faith. It's not some theory. We've actually experienced yeah, it ourselves yeah. that, uh, you know, even meeting my husband, you know, going on, on meeting other people that didn't work and then meeting my husband and that worked and, and how God, uh, you know, engineered all that um, uh, through a blind date. <laughs> uh, so, so we have all those experiences. And then also for my own children, um, uh, what my youngest has, uh, juvenile arthritis Ooh. and that was a challenge for her growing mm. up and you know yeah. having arthritis flare-ups every 12 to 18 oh, months you yeah. know like you know arthritis in the elbow or oh. you know, in the knee 
And um, she ha- just kept having these bouts and, you know, one mm-hmm. thing after another. And uh, we got to a point where there was no more treatment for uh, a flare-up in her ankle. Yeah. And, and we just prayed and prayed. And then the treatment that they had, she developed an allergy to it. And then she said to me one day, um, I mean, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why mm-hmm. has God not answered this prayer to heal me? Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, you know, we don't really have an answer to that. We, we just say, well, you know, we don't know. God has a plan and a purpose. We keep praying. And we just keep believing that he wants the best for you. Let's just keep praying. And mm-hmm. one day, like three months later after she said that, it healed. Wow. It just spontaneously healed. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, and it, it healed and we forgot. And then we're like, hey, did we not remember? Did we forget that God has just healed you? And yeah. hey, let's give thanks uh, to God. And so I know from that experience from my young, you know, the 12-year-old that that experience is growing her faith in God. That through oh. that adversity and that experience, um, her faith is growing. And uh, wow. yeah, that's probably her running up the stairs <laughs> with her now healed ankles. Um, um, and so I uh. thought that, I thought when it had happened and it, it wasn't here that there really was part of God right. touching her in her own experience and growing oh, her faith. Yeah. That's so beautiful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important to really, um, like you mentioned, yeah, no, no trust in a God who is yeah. love yes. and who's got everything in control. And yes. we don't have to be in control of uh, every situation and every outcome yeah. in our lives, right? We, yeah. we can't. And we yeah. can't know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to know that every negative thing that happens isn't necessarily a negative thing because... If we see, I mean, I think the verse that really helped me in the pandemic is um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and uh, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm meek and gentle of heart. Mm-hmm. Or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And and um, through spiritual direction that uh, I attended. Um, uh, what I understood that to mean is not that the burden is lifted so much as, I mean, whatever is the problem is still there. But when we take um, Jesus's yoke upon us, it means that we see from Jesus's point of view because we mm-hmm. take his yoke. So mm-hmm. we, we no longer see from our point of view. We see from a divine perspective. And then we see actually there must be a reason or there must be a purpose and we will trust uh, in God. And when we take that perspective, we take on that yoke, it really lifts. The burden really does lift. Yes, yes. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, something that all of us inevitably have to go through in yes. life, isn't it? All the yes. different uh, difficulties and problems that we face. But it's really yeah. letting the Lord share yes. and uh, take the yoke with, uh, with us. Yes. So we can actually yes. find that it is a lot easier. And yes. that uh, at the end of it all, we grow. Yes, and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I always remember, I don't know whether I read it somewhere or someone told this to me, um, the Lord always wants relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he will have relationship with us through blessing us with good things. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, he will only get relationship with us through adversity. And that's where we're kneeling and we're praying. And we are yeah. never closer to God than when we have adversity in our life. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of a, a little joke I heard from a priest some time ago uh, when he said that, uh, you know, um, 
uh, a bus driver and a priest both went to heaven, but but the Saint Peter allowed the, the bus driver to go in first rather than the priest. And um, yes. when the priest complained, the Saint Peter said, "Well, when the bus driver was praying, all the passengers when the bus driver was driving, all the passengers were praying. But when you were preaching, all the parishioners were sleeping. You know, so obviously the bus driver had the <laughs> edge here." <laughs> So yes, adversity is something that, that really puts us on our knees so, so often. Yeah, yeah. So true. Us, is, yeah. So actually, um, it's been very, really uh, wonderful uh, listening to you uh, share about uh, the faith and and your family life and all that. You know, and uh, maybe would like to as one final part share with us how you have incorporated prayer in your family yeah. life. Yeah. Sure. Um, we may, we do it quite simply every evening. Uh, at about uh eight from about eight thirty to eight forty five. We gather the family, so it's usually my husband, myself, the three girls, um, uh, grandma, and we will be all in the children's bedroom in various poses. And my husband will lead a time of prayer. Sometimes it's with music or a verse. He'll read something out. Um, and uh, so we use ver- we've used various things uh, along uh, along the way. We start out with prayer as you go as an app, uh, and then we've had music, we've had uh, meditation pieces. Um, and then uh, we then uh, each uh, take turns in spontaneous prayer. And uh, recently, my mother-in-law has uh, added in uh, a, a reading or a reflection uh, for the children to um, think about. And then we end with very simply, uh, one Our Father, three Hail Marys, one Glory Be, uh, and that's what we do daily. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, well, I guess uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, very, very uh, interesting session, Jennifer. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and for the excellent input you've uh, given us. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. really benefited so much from hearing from you. Yeah, thank I, you I, for the invitation, Don. I yeah, really I, enjoyed I, it myself. Thank you. Yeah, great. I, I hope we can have another session sometime in the future. Yeah, love when to. We hear from you again. It looks like you've got lots of uh, uh, gems to share with us. Thank you. Yeah, well, Thank you, well, friends, we have uh, reached the end of this very interesting episode with uh, Dr. Jennifer King, Senior Consultant Pediatrician at the Child Development Unit of the National University Hospital. So we look forward to seeing all of you again soon. Till then, take care, everyone, and may God bless you and your family always. Bye for now.